0: morning. It's great to see everyone this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Pastor Joe. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, And if this is your first week here, we would love to get to know you. Um, There'll be some lovely people at the connection desk in the back there, Um, and you also can come find any of the pastors up here afterwards. And uh, we'd love to talk to you and help you to get connected with our church and answer any questions that you have. Um, Please uh, take your phone or your Bible, whatever you have, and go to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, We're going to be looking at 10 verses that uh, John read for us today, verses 16 through 26. And I would just ask you to follow along in your Bibles as I go through this. I think it's easier to hear what God has for us when we're looking at the words, Uh, not only what's on the screen, but the whole passage that we're looking at, and you can see that better in your Bible or On your phone. Uh, So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, Lord, that you are working mightily in our lives, even though we don't always understand how that can possibly be so. Um, I pray, Lord, today as we look at Galatians, that we would um, fundamentally turn from trusting in ourselves to trusting in you, Lord. I pray that we would recognize that it's the daily struggle for all of us uh, to want to turn again to ourselves. And I pray, Lord, that we would repent of perhaps that greatest sin and daily depend on you and turn towards you in faith, Lord. Um, In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if I asked all of you to answer a question, how do you begin a right relationship with God? I'm pretty sure the answer would be universal. You begin a right relationship with God— by putting your faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your on your behalf. That's the gospel. But if I ask you another question, I think people might answer it very differently. After beginning a right relationship with God, how do you continue in a right relationship with God? After you begin, what is it that keeps you going in right fellowship with God as a Christian? And for some of you, you might say you need to read and pray. Some of you might say you don't do anything. You've been put in in the beginning, and I don't have to do anything. Some of you might say we need to keep separate from the world to stay in right relationship. Some of you might say obedience. Some of you might say holiness. You know, these are all kind of related. The thing is, the Galatian church, we've been in the book of Galatians, they were struggling with how to answer this question. How do we continue in right relationship relationship? with God. Because what, after, what happened after Jesus came to the earth? At the beginning, you had a bunch of Jewish people becoming Christians. But as the gospel spread to these other areas, you had more and more Gentiles becoming Christians, people who were not Jewish by nationality. And what was happening in, in the Galatian church is you had Gentile Christians who were being influenced by false teachers who were telling them, In order to continue in a right relationship with God, you need to follow Jewish customs. So we had Jewish teachers telling Gentile Christians, you need to act like a Jew in order to continue in a right relationship with God. Specifically, they were talking about circumcision. You need to be circumcised. Now, the thing to remember about the book of Galatians is that all of the people Paul is writing to, presumably, are Christians. So it's not like the problem in Galatia was that people were sharing the gospel to unbelievers and saying the gospel is a gospel of works. That wasn't the issue. The problem was, is that these people were teaching Christians that they they had to follow the Jewish law in order to continue in close fellowship with God. And I think this is the same issue that we deal with today. How do I continue in a right relationship with God? Do I have to follow certain things? Do I have to avoid certain other things? What is keeping me in close fellowship with Jesus day by day? It's an important question, and it's one I think we all are wrestling with day by day, hopefully. Now, the way that Paul answers this question, and the way that we should answer it today, is he does not say that the Galatian church needs to follow certain other rules. You don't need to be circumcised, but you need to follow other rules. What he actually says is that they must walk in the Spirit. This is Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now, in all the ten verses we read, this is the only command. So this is the central thing that Paul wants you to focus on. And the central theme of this passage and of my message today is to constantly bring us back to this point. Paul ultimately does not want us to focus on the fruit. He ultimately does not want us to focus on avoiding the flesh. He wants us to focus as Christians on walking in the Spirit. Paul's point is that for the Christian to stay in a healthy relationship with God, we must walk in the Spirit. Now, I want us to see, first of all, we're going to go back to Galatians chapter 3 to recognize that when Paul says walk in the Spirit here, this is a gospel reality. So I want us to help I want us to understand what this means according to Galatians. If you look back in chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 3, he says, as he is, you know, throughout the letter, angry at the Galatians, he says, "'O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified?' So he's unhappy and he says that the Galatians have been bewitched. So they have turned from the truth to another false reality. And this is what he says Notice the question here Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, the question here is How did you begin in the Spirit? Now, if we understand our theology and what the Bible teaches, we realize that we receive the Spirit when we become Christians. When I become a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells me. Paul is asking, how did that reality happen? How did you receive the Spirit? Did you receive the Spirit by works? Or did you receive the Spirit by faith? And this is a rhetorical question to point out that we begin in the Spirit by faith. We didn't receive the Spirit by works. We received the Spirit by faith. And what he's asking these teachers is, what has led you to think that continuing in the faith would be through any different power? Notice here that he says, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So Paul is saying, we begin in the Spirit by faith. We continue in the Spirit by faith. Dependence on God or faith is the same pathway. We begin as a Christian through faith, and we continue in right relationship with God, depending on the Spirit, continuing in the Spirit by faith. And so what the false teachers were saying is that the gospel saves us and following the law sustains us. This is what they were teaching. The gospel saves us, but if I want to continue faithfully, I need to be circumcised. What Paul is saying in these verses I just brought out is that the gospel is what saves us and sustains us. The gospel is the source of life continuing for the Christian in the same way that it's a source of life to begin as a Christian. Now, you might be wondering, as I was wondering, I was talking with Pastor Aaron about it, you know, what about as a Christian, we, we often talk about how doing certain things and avoiding certain bad things keeps me in close fellowship or intimacy with God. Maybe you've thought that way. If I follow what God wants me to do, if I obey him, I am experiencing close fellowship with him as a Christian. Now, there's an element of truth to that, but fundamentally what Paul is teaching here. Is that walking in the Spirit as a Christian is what gives us that close fellowship, not the works, even as a Christian. The works are what follow that walking in the Spirit. And I'm gonna try to bring this point out throughout the uh, sermon today. We begin in the Spirit by faith, and we continue in the Sermon and in the Spirit by faith, and also in the Sermon by faith. So if we continue in the Spirit in the same way, that we began in the Spirit, then we have to understand, when Paul says here in verse 16, walk in the Spirit, this means that as Christians, we are daily depending on the Spirit given through Christ's sacrifice as a Christian. That's the source of life for the Christian. Now, what does this mean? Do you use some synonyms? This could mean living mindful of God and what he has done for you. So you're mindful of what God has done for you and who he is and you are living in that way of mindfulness Uh, It could mean living and trusting yourself to God because of who he is and what he has done for you It's kind of the attitude that I need God I need you Lord for every moment in both the good times and the bad times Now I understood this personally at a, a Deep level when my daughter juliana was born. She's about three and a half months now and uh her heartbeat kept dropping like every ten minutes. This was like twenty-four hours, and I was just freaking out. Um, and so I was struggling with anxiety. Her heartbeat's dropping. What's going to go wrong? <laughs> and well, that is going wrong, right? And what that forced me to realize is that her heartbeat and her life is outside of my control. And it forced me to turn to the one who is in control, Lord. Lord, no matter what you have for my future and Juliana's. Future, you are good, and then you are in control. And so I had to turn from depending on myself, which was creating that anxiety, to depending on God, who brings peace. Now that's an example of something uh, you know difficult happening which caused me to depend on God. But the truth that we see in Scripture is even when things are going well, we just as much need to depend on God. Salvation is dependence. Walking is dependence. Being saved through faith and continuing is through faith. The faith that saves us is the faith that sustains us. And so when we're talking about what it means to walk in the Spirit, an easy way to think through it is walking in the Spirit is living in active dependence on God. And this is the solution for the Christian life that Paul wants us to see throughout this passage, and really throughout the book, as we saw in chapter 3. Now a couple terms here in this passage, when Paul says walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, he's not talking about uh, just sexual lust here, but he's talking about desire in general. So if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And then you might ask, what does flesh mean? Flesh does not refer to your physical self, although some people would take it that way. I think that's a uh, heresy. Flesh refers to all of your sinful nature. This could be both inward things and physical things. And you see that if you look in the lists uh, further along in the passage uh, of sins, some of them are inward realities and some of them are outward realities. Like drunkenness is an outward reality, but idolatry is an inward reality, since most of us aren't, you know, bowing down to golden calves or anything uh, in 2023. So those are some of the terms that are important. Paul is commanding us, though— to live in active dependence on God. And this approach is contrary to the system of the false teachers which required certain Jewish rules to be kept. And I want you just to consider, if you are so careful and concerned that you have to follow certain laws for you to have a right relationship with God, it would have been shocking for Paul just to tell you, no, you don't need to follow those laws, you just need to walk in the Spirit. That was kind of a shocking turn of events. He's, he's telling them, you don't need to follow those laws, you just need to walk in the Spirit. And you can imagine many of them probably were thinking, but, but what about, you know, this or that or whatever? And Paul's just saying, no, depend on God. And so we're going to look at today, as we continue through this passage, three keys or truths to keep us walking in the Spirit. because that's the goal. As we see here in the passage, the distinction is between walking in the Spirit and fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And as believers, our daily goal must be to trust ourselves to God and His Spirit that has indwelled us through faith in the work of Jesus Christ. So three truths that keep us walking in the Spirit. Number one, we must fight because this is war. We must fight because this is war. Now, Paul is teaching here that peaceful coexistence between the Spirit and the works of the flesh is impossible. This, depending on the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and fulfilling the lusts of the flesh are incompatible. Notice here that he says, if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He's not saying here that if you walk in the Spirit, you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But these two things are incompatible. They can't mix. It's like oil and water. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And then he goes on to explain this in detail in verse 17, just to talk about how these two things don't mix. He says, "...for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish." And this might make you think of Romans 7, which Paul actually wrote after this passage, uh, where he explains his own struggle to walk in the Spirit and and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And he talks about how his own life is a struggle to depend on Christ rather than depend on himself. That's what he's talking about. These two things can't mix. It's a struggle, and therefore we have to fight. And he gives us some encouragement here. He says in verse 18, the very next verse, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, when Paul says here, if you are led by the Spirit, I think this is an explanation or a synonym for walk in the Spirit. So notice here, verse 16, we already looked at. I say walk in the Spirit, and then back to 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, I think here he's talking about the same thing. So part of what it means to walk in the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit. So you can see that, that the, the idea of active dependence that we talked about uh, is inherent there in, in being led. I'm depending on the Spirit, I'm letting the Spirit lead me rather than myself. <clears throat> now, he says next, very important phrase if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, he uses this phrase throughout the book of Galatians actually a couple times. And the way that I understand this uh, is that under the law means that you are condemned by the law or accountable to the law. The law is what condemns you. It tells you when you're wrong, and you're also accountable to it. You have to follow it. And Paul is saying if you're led by the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, here's the problem. I think if I was talking to most of you and I asked you, are you under the law? You'd say, nope, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. But the problem is, you can think that you're condemned by the law all that you want, but if you live as if you're condemned by the law, then which reality are you really believing? I think that's the key. The thing about the Christian life is so much of the time we say that we are not under the law and we don't have to obey the law, but we live lives in fear that we have to do the right things and avoid the wrong things if God is going to be happy with us. And if we mess up, he's just going to bop us on the head uh, with his, you know, disciplinary stick. And that's the way our relationship with God works. So that's what it would look like maybe to live under the law, even if you don't believe or tell me that you believe that you are under the law. Let me give you some examples here. This is from a commentary on Galatians that I read that I appreciated. And he points out that if you're living under the law, you have the mindset of, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. And, again, the question is not, do you say intellectually that this is true, but do you live as if this is true? If you live as if this is true, then you're living as if you are under the law. What the gospel says is that I'm accepted, therefore I obey. You see the difference? I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I'm accepted, therefore I obey. According to the gospel, the motivation comes from what Christ has done for us. He has accepted us through the gospel. That's why we obey. Another example, according to the law, living this way, is motivation is based on fear and insecurity. I need to make sure that I just don't mess up so that God is happy with me and he doesn't get angry. But living according to the gospel is that motivation is based on grateful joy, because of what Christ has done for me on the cross. Another longer example that this commentary gives, uh, but uh, still beneficial, Uh, Just listen if you can't see it. (laughs) Uh, My self view swings between two poles. This is law. If and when I am living up to my standards, I feel confident, but then I am prone to be proud and unsympathetic to failing people. If and when I am not living up to standards, I feel humble, but not confident, I feel like a failure. Maybe you can relate to that. But the way of the gospel, my self view is not based on my moral achievement. In Christ, I am simultaneously sinful and lost, yet accepted in Christ. I am so bad that he had to die for me, and I am so loved that he was glad to die for me. This leads me to deep humility and confidence at the same time. You know, part of walking in the Spirit is just living a life where you're constantly preaching these truths to yourself because you don't just drift into believing these things about yourself. We have to actively preach them to ourselves. And the reality is that anything that distracts us from depending daily on God is ultimately depending on ourselves and living as if we're under the law. Anything that distracts us from active dependence on God. So the only way forward for us as Christians that avoids living as if we are under the law is to daily fight to depend on the Spirit. We have to fight for it. It takes work, it takes a lot of work to expose the lies that you are believing and to apply the truths of the gospel to them. Um, This is one of the reasons I like talking to uh, Pastor Greg, if I have any issue. He's a great counselor, so I think we all need counseling at some level, so go talk to him. But anyway, um, if you make a sinful choice, or if I'm feeling depressed, for example, uh, sometimes talking to someone can help you get at the root of what caused that. And the root of what caused that is ultimately probably the lie that you're believing rather than the truth of the gospel. And if you don't take time to really think through, why did I actually do that? Why did I actually respond in anger? Why did, I, why did I actually get overwhelmed with anxiety? If you don't take time to dig down to the root, you might not be able to effectively apply the gospel to that scenario. And talking to someone helps. Helps me anyway. Um, but like I said, we're not going to drift accidentally into this kind of living. You're not going to accidentally start walking in the Spirit. It takes work, and you have to fight for it. We, has, we have to fight for it because we are at war. Uh, number two, we have to examine what our lives are producing. What Paul is getting at in this passage is that the things that your life are producing are evidence of whether or not you're walking in the Spirit or fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. So what he's getting at is, if you ask the question, how do I know if I'm walking in the Spirit? Or how do I know if I'm fulfilling the lusts of the flesh? Well, you know by what your life is producing. And he starts with the works of the flesh. And he points out that fulfilling the flesh will always produce sinful works. Which works? Well, he says in verses 19 through 21, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, these things will be true of you. It's not they might be true of you, they will be true of you. And so we have to ask the hard questions and wrestle with the evidence. What is our life producing? And I'm not going to spend time going through these for the sake of time, but that would be a helpful study but also part of the reason I'm not spending time going for these, through these is because that's not the focus of Paul. Paul's focus is for not for us to parse these individual sins. His focus for, is to motivate us to live lives in active dependence, to walk on the Spirit. Now, a couple things about these, though. Uh, first off, some of these are easier to point out in your life. It's easier to know whether or not you are living in adultery, or outbursts of wrath, or murder, Or drunkenness, even though that one is a little shakier sometimes. But these are easier to spot. If you are living with these sins, it's easy to tell. But most of these are actually difficult to pinpoint in your life. Idolatry. Uh, An example I've been thinking about is, you know, idolatry is when we worship anything ultimately rather than worshiping God. So I could take a good thing like sleep. I love sleep. I could be idolatrous in my use of sleep because I'm worshiping the sleep rather than using sleep to uh, worship God and and to use it the way that he has given me. Now, the thing is, whether or not I am using sleep in an idolatrous way and you're using sleep in a God-glorifying way, it could look exactly the same. If my father-in-law is glorifying God through sleep, he could be sleeping the same amount as me, the idol worshiper, is with sleep. It's hard to pinpoint idolatry in your life. And similarly, hatred, contentions, jealousies, selfish ambitions, dissensions, envy. And part of the reason these are hard to point out is because we're such good liars to ourselves and we delude ourselves and we justify whatever we choose to do. Uh, We're really good lawyers at making ourselves look good in the things that we decided to choose in our life. But I think the point here is that because these are internal matters of the heart, These are heart realities that are hard to change. Uh, They're nearly impossible to change because they're matters of your heart. How do you change your heart? And I think that's what Paul wants us to be overwhelmed with. How do I change my heart? It's easy to avoid adultery at one level, even though we fall into that, but how do I change these inward things of the heart? And the only way to change your heart is through trusting in the work of Jesus Christ as a Christian. That's what Paul wants you to feel here. I think He wants us to be overwhelmed with, I can't change the motivation and the inward desires of my heart. I need Jesus. I need to walk in the Spirit. God is after your heart. He doesn't care as much if you are performing or not performing this or that external action, and that's why Paul uh, is just aghast at the false teachers who are trying to convince them that they must be circumcised in order to be right with God, and it's just not about the external action. And we want it to be about that, because it's easier. It's easier just to make a rule and say, I'm going to not do this, and I'm going to do this. But God is more concerned about where your heart is, and it's impossible to change your heart except from walking in the Spirit. Now, Paul gets serious here, because you might ask, well, what's at stake? What if these things are true in my life? He says at the end there, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I don't think the issue here is ultimately that if you sin, you will not go to heaven. I don't think that's what Paul's teaching, because we all sin. Uh, We all will probably commit some sin of idolatry today and worship one of God's gifts rather than the person who gave us the gift. But I think what he's talking about here is that Christians are called to holiness and must not be characterized by these works of the flesh. We must not be characterized by the works of the flesh. And so the issue is, if you are not characterized by walking in the Spirit, but your life is more characterized by the flesh, there's no confidence that you will inherit eternal life. Not because the works is what makes you inherit eternal life, because, but because you're not trusting in Christ, which is what makes you inherit eternal life. So evidence that your faith, these works of the flesh, are ultimately evidence that your faith is in yourself rather than in Christ. They're kind of a litmus test. Do I believe in myself or do I believe in Jesus? Am I living in trust of myself or am I living trusting Jesus? again, the solution is not to live focusing on these works of the flesh, but to live focusing on walking in the Spirit. Now, Paul moves on, though, and he teaches us, he shows us that dependence on God produces fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now, to beat a dead horse, the focus here is on the Spirit, not the fruit. Fruit is the evidence of the walk. It's the evidence that you're walking in the Spirit. Um, in the same way that you know an apple tree because it produces apples, a Christian is known because of the love, joy, peace, etc. that their life produces. Uh, this is very similar to John thirteen thirty four. This is one of my favorite verses Uh, Jesus teaching us how our relationship with the world is supposed to look. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the love that people have for, that Christians have for one another is a sign that They are Christians, and it's kind of an apologetic. By this, all, the world, will know that you are of Christ because of the love that you have. So, same kind of thing here. Now, we could focus on the individual fruit, but we're not. Um, One of the things uh, Tim Keller points out in a book that he has, uh, I thought this was really good, just kind of an overview. He has paragraphs on all of this. But he says, looking at the fruit can teach us a lot about the Christian life. So you can understand by looking at fruit and the analogy of fruit that, number one, growth is gradual. It's not, it doesn't happen that one day just an apple just pops up on the apple tree and just poof, there it is, an apple. Uh, there it is, an orange. But fruit takes time to, you know, there's flowers and they're pollinated and the fruit grows slowly over time. And we should expect that in our life. We shouldn't, we shouldn't just expect all of this fruit just to poof, pop in our life like a miracle. It takes time. It's gradual. We can also understand through this analogy that growth is inevitable. If you have a healthy tree, tree, it's going to produce the fruit. That's what trees do. An apple tree doesn't have a choice. I'm not sure. Am I going to do apples, or am I going to do oranges, or am I going to do nothing? It doesn't have the choice. It's going to produce apples because it's an apple tree. Fruit's inevitable. Growth is inevitable. And as we've about, been talking about, uh, health is also internal. Um, It's the health of the tree that results in the good fruit, not a focus on the fruit itself. And it might surprise you, but I think that a focus on the individual fruit of the Spirit can be an approach of the law. And this is what I did when I first learned about the fruit of the Spirit. I said, okay, we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, so on and so forth. On Monday, I'm going to learn about love, and I'm going to focus on love. And then Tuesday, I'm going to learn about joy and focus on joy. And that ultimately, I think, is an approach of the law. Why is that an approach of the law? It's missing the point. Because the goal and the way that we produce this fruit is not by focusing on fruit, on the works, but on focusing on, by focusing on Christ. The fruit happens because we're walking in the Spirit, not because we're trying with all of our might to produce fruit in the Spirit. Uh, this, would be, this is a way to follow Christ and be legalistic, because you're focusing on works of the law. They're just different works of the law. Uh, maybe some of your temptation, you know, you have some script, uh, Christians who are strict and some Christians who are not strict— and for some of you who are not strict, you might be tempted to believe, well, just because I'm not following all those strict rules that those, some Christians are following, uh, I'm good. But that can be just as legalistic of approach because ultimately you're trusting in the fact that you're not following the strict rules rather than trusting in Christ. And Paul's point throughout this whole passage, the reason he has one command in the whole passage, is that walk in the Spirit. That is the way forward. Again, I hope when you're, looking, when you're looking at this list that you notice that Paul is not focused on actions here, but he's focused on internal desires of the heart. Uh, some people call these motivational systems. Rather being, than mo- being motivated by the flesh, you want to be motivated by the spirit. Um, and I hope you feel the difficulty of trying to change your motivations and your desires. Um, I know I've thought many times, I know I need to be more loving. I'm just not. I don't know how to get there. I know I need to be there. I'm just not there. Like, I just don't—my heart right now, I don't care. That's how I feel. And so how do you change that? I think the only way we change that is by depending on Christ. And you might ask, how does depending on Christ actually produce fruit? And I think it's because if you're living a life marked by depending on God, by learning— Who he is, and by applying who he is and what he has done to your life, you're going to become like him. I think that's why how the fruit actually is produced in our life. Now, finally, here number three, we must walk in the power of the gospel, and this is really just what we've been talking about, about through the whole passage. But Paul emphasizes it at the end of the passage here, so we will emphasize it here. Um, He emphasizes in verse 24 the fact that we've been uh, freed from slavery to our sin nature. He says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So notice here the first part of the verse, those who are Christ's. That's just another way to say those who are Christians. So those who are Christians, what is characterized of them? They have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So again, it's kind of like the the, uh, foundational statement he makes in the beginning. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Similarly, if you are a Christian, if you are Christ's, you have crucified the flesh with its desires. Now, there's a sense in which Christ has done this for us. And this is why Paul says in verse 20 in chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So just a side note here when he says here, which I, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. This is another synonym or explanation of walking in the Spirit. I was saved by faith. I'm now living by faith. It's dependence on God, active dependence on God. But notice here that he's talking about something in the past. I have been crucified with Christ. But then in this verse, he talks about kind of, he emphasizes more uh, the way what we do. Those who are Christ, Christians, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So we have crucified the flesh. Now, this is encouraging to us because maybe you've heard the illustration that the Christian life is kind of like two dogs that are inside of you, and they're warring against each other, and And they're hungry, and whichever dog you feed is the dog that's going to survive. So if you feed the spirit, the spirit is going to survive. If you feed the flesh, the flesh is going to survive. Now, I think this is actually an unbiblical analogy. The reason for that is because the flesh and the spirit are not equal and opposite powers warring inside of us. God has actually done a definitive work through through Jesus Christ to destroy and defeat the work of the flesh. So not, our, not only are we no longer under the power of the flesh, but we're also empowered by the Spirit to actually defeat it. And so it's not equal. The Spirit has won. We are new creations. Christ has changed us because of His work on the cross. And I think this is Paul's point here. It's not an equal battle, but as Christians, we have to live to put to death the flesh. I also don't think we should miss the brutality of the analogy here. He's and this reminds us of our first point about war. He's saying here that we should put to death the desires of the flesh in the same with the same kind of like intensity that the Romans brutally executed people on the cross. We've crucified the flesh with its desires. It's a brutal analogy and I think it Teaches us that we're at war. But again, the solution is not just to work harder. The solution is to depend on the Spirit, to trust in Christ. Now, he also says in verse 25, uh, the very next verse, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And I think this also shows us that there is something that has changed. Because of Christ, we now live in the Spirit. That's our reality, that's where we live. And so now we just need to walk in that reality. Christ has actually changed something. We live in the Spirit. Let's walk in that reality. Again, I think this is a synonym here. Synonym. Uh, walk in the Spirit, same as led by the Spirit. He's tying us back with verse 16. Now, just to remind you, the false teachers were saying, we live in the Spirit but walk in the flesh. And I think that's the, it's the daily reality of every Christian to fight that. I think we are constantly tempted to believe that we begin with the gospel but continue in the flesh. I think that's our constant temptation. That's where we naturally drift because of our sinful nature, and Christ is calling us through this passage to trust in Christ instead of ourselves. Um, Tim Keller, again, in the same put he, book, he put this quote, and I just thought it summed up everything nicely. Uh, he said, "'The way to progress as a Christian is continually to repent and uproot these systems in the same way that we became Christians, by the vivid depiction and re-depiction of Christ's saving work for us and the abandoning of self-trusting efforts to complete ourselves. That's what Paul's getting at. Stop trusting in yourself, but walk in the Spirit. And so all of us, you know, we each have a daily choice today and every day this week, It's probably good to think in terms of, you know, God has given you grace for today, Sunday. So think in terms of today. Start here. Don't worry about a month from now or even the week. Start today. Um, I've kind of summarized through this message uh, approaches of the law, and I listed them here just for reference. Um, There's many ways to follow the flesh and the law. We can be more strict than Jesus, which is what the Jews were doing. We can live as if we are condemned, even if we're not condemned. We can live fulfilling the desire of the flesh and just do whatever we want, or we can pursue fruit without pursuing God, which means to pursue the fruit in our own strength. All of these are the way of the flesh and the way of the law. God wants to fundamentally change our Christian life by helping us to live trusting in Him rather than ourselves. And so I hope that uh, you are motivated to turn to Christ today. Uh, you began in the Spirit, so continue in the Spirit. And some really practical ways this work can, works in, the da- in daily life, um, through prayer. Lord, help me. I can't do it. That's depending on Jesus. I don't have the strength to do this, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I need you right now. That should be a daily prayer of our lives. It's that simple. It's thinking of God and turning ourselves to God meditation. Who is Christ? And what has He done for me? And how does that reality, how should that reality impact my life right now? I'm tempted to believe bad things of myself. What does Christ actually say about me? That's meditating on who Christ is and what He has done. That's part of depending on the Spirit. And then repentance is just that daily turn. I'm not going to depend on myself anymore. I'm going to depend on Christ. You don't outgrow the need to do that daily. I need to turn from myself to Christ. Whoops, I'm back to myself again. I need to turn to Christ. That's our daily reality. Uh, We, Satan, wants us to trust in ourselves and to worship ourselves rather than our great God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. So I just pray for my heart and for your heart uh, that we would turn to Christ today. Lord, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Galatians, which uh, so powerfully just gets at a uh, daily reality, Lord. Uh, even if we're not calling people to be circumcised, uh, we are commonly believing a false gospel that we live righteously as Christians uh, through our own power. And I just pray, Lord, that we would turn from that, that we would repent of our sin and trust in you today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's all stand once again as we celebrate that one gospel that that brings salvation.